I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Fewer people are convinced by the story each day as they begin to see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. The time for allowing them to make us feel like strangers in our own country is over. We are Americans. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. It's Thursday, January 20th, 2022, the 365th day of dystopia. This is the end game. You can find all my socials, my writing, my merch, and my donation support site all in the show notes. So let's get right into it. Yesterday was one of the most magnificent (laughs) political events that I have ever seen in my life. Joe Biden went out for his first press conference of 2022, thinking that he was going to get his illegitimate administration back on the right track. He went out there for almost two hours, gave a ridiculous speech at the beginning. We're going to go through all this, by the way gave a ridiculous speech at the beginning and then began taking questions around the 30 minute mark and stood there taking questions for almost an hour and 20 minutes. And every answer was basically worse than the last. Joe Biden set his fake administration on fire yesterday and he proved how fake and illegitimate his administration was. And he did it over and over and over again, not only through his incompetence, but the way issues are perceived from that side. They act illegitimate because they are illegitimate. Now, in terms of the end game, in terms of the central narrative collapsing and falling apart, it seems like Joe Biden has recognized it, too. And this is from the question and answer portion. I'm going to go through kind of chronologically after this. But I wanted to lead off with this because Joe Biden only exists as fake president because of the media's willingness to be complicit with the global agenda, the global communist agenda. The media put Joe Biden in office. They told people that Joe Biden was a moderate, that Joe Biden was a problem solver, that Joe Biden was very charismatic and hardworking, and he knew how to work across the aisle. They said Joe Biden was decent, and they tried to give the illusion that he was responsible and mentally fit and physically vital. But none of those are true, and everyone can see it now. It's on full display. The only people who do not realize Joe Biden's incompetence and illegitimacy are the people who get their news from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and cable news. And that's it. They read what they're told to read by an algorithm designed, designed to keep them addicted to the central narrative by the companies that track you and know everything about you. 
They know what you say online. They know your political tendencies. They know what you buy. They know where you are. They know who you date. They know where you went to high school. They know your family members. They know all of that. And they prepare information just for you. And you're still stuck there after two years, two years of the two greatest concurrent crises in American history. After two years, these people have still not had the incentive to think about whether or not they might be wrong about the two most important things to ever happen in their society occurring at the same time, they haven't even thought about whether or not they might be wrong. They just find more and more convoluted and complicated explanations for how they are totally right, even though reality keeps proving them wrong every day. People who have been promoting the wearing of cloth masks, the mandating of cloth masks on your children still think they're the smart people in the room. They still say better safe than sorry. You know why? Because they don't think about what might happen on the other side. They never do. They just want it the way they want it. And the way they want it is with full control. All of it is totally on display now. And the media can't even cover it up anymore. And so Joe Biden's upset. He got asked repeatedly why virtually the entire country, according to polls, wants absolutely nothing to do with Joe Biden or anyone around him or any of the movement he represents. And his responses were that he doesn't believe in polls and that the media did it. So I'm going to play a follow-up question from this reporter and Biden's response. But the question the reporter initially asked was, Republicans obstructed a lot of the Obama agenda while you were the vice president. So why did you think that that wouldn't happen now? To do this, just let's, if you ask me easy questions, I'll give you quick answers. Uh, there's an increasing concern, I think, among some Democrats that even if schools do continue to open, and I get that most of them are now open, Republicans will weaponize this narrative of you, of you and other leading Democrats allowing them to stay closed in the midterms next year. Uh, and you know, obviously, that issue has a lot of traction with suburban parents, um, as I think what we saw in Virginia. I'm confused by the question. I'm sorry. Well, that could school reopenings or closures become a potent midterm issue for Republicans to win back the suburbs? Oh, I think it could be, but I hope with God that they're, uh, that, look, maybe I'm kidding myself, but as time goes on, the voter who is just trying to figure out, as I said, how to take care of their family, put three squares on the table, stay safe, be able to pay their mortgage or their rent, et cetera. Hey, Joe, the question was, do you think that Republicans will be able to gain ground and a huge percentage of the vote because you guys decided to keep children out of schools? That's the question. His answer is, I hope to God that uh, uh, 
Well, you got to put three squares on the table. <laughs> like, are those placemats, Joe? Uh, has is becoming much more informed on the um, the motives of um, some of the political players and some of the. And the political parties. And I think that they are not going to be as susceptible to believing some of the outlandish things that have been said and continue to be said. Okay, so his explanation for this answer to a question that wasn't asked is that American citizens are so busy with their real lives that they don't have a lot of time to pay attention to politics. And Come to find out that's not actually true. People can actually keep themselves quite well informed as long as they move outside of central narrative outlets and the propaganda entertainment they watch on television. And he thinks that the solution to the obvious problems that his agenda is having and the way the country is reacting to him is that people are now becoming informed of what the motives are on the other side. If you don't think that that is a direct reference to him implying that people who don't agree with him are Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis, you're wrong. He's basically making the argument that the propaganda is working and that people are beginning to believe the things he wants them to believe. So he's not worried about this fall because by then, oh, these very hardworking people who put three squares on their table. Maybe it's just the abstraction of a square. Maybe you can just envision it on your table. But these people are now informed about the motives of the other side, and they'll understand that the other side is evil. And this has been a message from Joe Biden, the great unifier in chief. And of course, it absolutely has nothing to do with the question he was asked. And for the record, the smart answer on his behalf, not that it's the right answer, it's not by a long shot, but the smart answer for a politician in Joe Biden's position would have been, we were trying to do everything we could to protect the society. We had information that we believed was relevant that said that closing down schools may prevent community spread. And so that's why we did it. And we have gotten schools open to this point. And so we hope American parents will realize that we were looking out for their children. We understand their frustrations and we are going to do everything we can to make sure there's no more disruption in their children's lives. That is the smart political answer. Joe Biden is not a smart politician and the people behind him are just as dumb as he is. You know, every every president, not necessarily in the first 12 months, but every president in the first couple of years, most every president, excuse me, of the last presidents, at least four of them, have had polling numbers that are 44% favorable. So it's this idea that, but you all, not you all, but now it is, well, Biden's at one poll showed him at 33%. The average is 46 44, 45%. One poll them at 49%. I mean, the idea that... Um 
According to Real Clear Politics, Biden's polling average right now is 41.8. Joe Biden has not hit 49 in any presidential approval poll in two months. He got a couple 48s from Reuters, and that's it. Everything else is 44, 45 and below. Joe Biden does not have a 44 or 45 average, and the polls are continuing their downward trends. And left leaning polls show him below 40% in job approval. And his ratings on other things are much worse. His ratings with other groups besides the whole of Americans are also much worse. We've talked about this 28% with independents, 25% with Hispanics, 24% with 18 to 24 year olds. It is a disaster. And he goes from saying on and off throughout his press conference that there's this poll or that poll that says that they're good. And then he'll just say, I don't believe polls whenever it suits him. Now you're going to hear a pause. This is only part of the pause from when you last heard him speaking. But I feel like it's important to leave them in because this is actually how he is. He does not give answers. His brain is not working at full speed. The American public are trying to sift their way through what's real and what's and what's fake. And I don't think as uh, I've never seen a time when the political coverage, the the choice of what political coverage the voter looks to has as much impact on as what they believe. They go to get reinforced in their views, whether it's uh, MSNBC or whether it's Fox or whatever. I mean, did Joe just say that people go to MSNBC to have their views enforced? Oh, well, that's interesting. And they go to Fox to have their views enforced. Got it. MSNBC might be a little mad, but like, in large part, I agree. People do like having their views reinforced by their entertainment, and that is why they watch MSNBC and Fox. But of course, MSNBC and Fox are not the only places to get information, and they're not on two different sides. They're on the side of the central narrative. They just market their message to different people who are addicted to the central narrative. That is the view people want enforced. And what is the one thing that Fox and MSNBC have agreed about the whole time now that the coronavirus narrative is unraveling and they're handling it in slightly different ways? The one thing in the central narrative that they've agreed about the whole time, the thing that keeps all the people addicted to the central narrative coming back so that their view can be reinforced is that Joe Biden is a legitimate president. And one of the things I find fascinating that's happening, and you all are dealing with it every day, and it will impact on, on how things move, is that uh, a lot of the speculation and the polling data shows that the, um, that the uh, cables are heading south. They're losing viewership. Well, well, Fox is okay for a while, but it's not gated. Fox is okay for a while, but it's not gated. Now, I have no idea what that part means. And I doubt that Joe Biden does either. He has no idea he even said that yesterday. But 
again, he is admitting that the country doesn't believe him at all. Do you really think everyone believes Joe Biden is a legitimate president? They are turning off MSNBC and CNN faster than they're turning off Fox. He knows, well, Fox is just fine. I mean, they're not great, but they're just fine. They've retained a good portion of their audience. CNN and MSNBC. Well, that's Joe Biden's narrative. And all their viewers are completely gone. Because Joe, nobody believes you. Everyone can see when they watch CNN and MSNBC that they're being lied to. They're telling your story, Joe. They're the ones repeating the January 6th nonsense. They're the ones pretending that you are a competent, legitimate president. How long do you think that's going to last, Joe? A lot of the rest are predicted to be not very much in the, in the mix in the next four to five years. I don't know whether that's true or not. Did Joe Biden just predict the collapse of cable news? That's what it sounded like to me. I wonder who he's planning on having replace the cable news. And I wonder if the big tech companies that have their own internal representatives planted throughout Joe Biden's illegitimate administration might have ideas about that. Man, kind of giving up the whole game, aren't you, Joe? But I do know that we have sort of... Uh put everybody in, put themselves in certain alleys. And they decided that, you know, how many people who watch MSNBC also watch Fox other than they're a politician trying to find out what's going on in both places. You got that? Joe Biden doesn't believe that people get more than one perspective. Joe Biden, the pretend leader of the free world, has absolutely no idea about the information environment he exists in. And you can imagine that he's probably only borrowing Jen Psaki's perspective on this. They actually think that their opposition in the media is Fox. They think that represents the other viewpoint. And then everything else is QAnon. They really are ignorant enough to believe that. How many people... Again, I'm no expert in any of this, but the fact is, I think you have to acknowledge that what gets covered now is necessarily a little bit different than what gets covered in the past. I've had a couple Washington ones, but the nature, not the nature of the way things get covered as in my observation over the years I've been involved in public life, changed. And it's changed because of everything from a thing called the Internet. It's changed because of the way in which uh, we have self-identified perspectives based on what channel you turn on, what, what, what network you look at, that network, what, what cable you look at. And it's, um, it's never quite been like that. Anyway, he is bemoaning the death of the monocultural narrative 
All right. We hear all these stories of yesteryear about how the networks would put out the news and the New York Times and the Washington Post and the L.A. Times. They would put out the news. They gave everyone the story. Everyone agreed that that was the story because that was the only information they had access to. And people like Joe Biden, who wanted to embark on a 50 year long career of crime and corruption in public office could do so without anyone ever finding out. And now he's upset because there's information coming from all over the place, all the different parts of the cables and the Internet. And so the reason that people think he's doing a pitiful job as fake president is not because they can observe their own lives and see that, in fact, he is doing a pitiful job as fake president. It's that they believe whatever they're told once they turn on this channel or that. So it's important to make sure that they can only see the things we want them to see. It was easier than it was better than everyone agreed there was one story and everyone just had to stick to the story and you can get away with whatever crimes you like, man, the good old days. Well, sorry, Joe, it's not the good old days anymore. And you are absolutely finished. But now let's get some more highlights of Joe Biden's great shining moment on the national stage. And before we start that, let's just take notice of the fact that Joe Biden has been almost virtually completely hidden from the American public for the entire time since he stepped back on stage as the candidate in 2019. They let him sit in the basement and answer scripted chosen questions from allied media that he would answer with scripted answers. He read off his screen while the interview was going on. We have literally seen him. There is video of him with teleprompters in interviews. I'm not making this up. You can watch him read answers on screen and for instance, if you and I were on a FaceTime or a Zoom call and I had my messenger app opened on my computer that got my phone messages in, or I had some instant messaging app like Telegram open, if someone was asking me questions, someone else could be typing the answers in real time and sending them to me. And as long as I understood what that person is saying, I could then broadcast those words to the world as if they were my own. Or I could sit there and read them directly off the screen in a completely obvious way as if I was Ron Burgundy and just say whatever they type in. I actually sometimes wonder if, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black is, is one of those examples. Like someone on his team was just like, uh, what do you mean if black people don't vote for the Democrat? Like, if you don't vote for the Democrat, you ain't black. And Joe Biden just read it and said it to Charlemagne the God. So they kept him hidden throughout the campaign. He did a few live events. They would draw circles on the ground. People would sit there in their folding chairs with their little masks on because they were being safe. Oh, look at us. We're Democrats. We're so safe. Uh, hey, that's not the thing. 
You're all little bitches who are scared of living in the world. That's the thing. And that's exactly what you communicated. And now, of course, we have Joe Biden as the fake president. And every time he appears, he reads off a teleprompter or a little notepad that he carries around with him or his papers or like yesterday, a binder. He was going through his binder. You could see him turning the pages to continue his scripted answer to the scripted questions he was being asked. They were going in order through a predetermined list of reporters who were allowed to ask questions. It is an utter embarrassment, particularly while the uh, military industrial complex and the deep state are trying to get us into a conflict in Ukraine over a non-existent issue. If there really was some actual military standoff in the offing over there, then we have given the game away by showing Vladimir Putin, the very dangerous Vladimir Putin, that our president does not have the mental capacity to even understand the conflict, much less stand up to a man who is clearly sharper and more ruthless and more powerful than he is by a long shot. Joe Biden is a complete and total incompetent. His presence on the world stage is an utter embarrassment to every American. And somehow there are still 28% of Americans who can't feel that or don't understand what it is for them to be the locus of everyone's disdain. And that is exactly where they are. They are completely clueless to it, though. It is incredible. It is honestly incredible. I cannot believe, by the way, that we have endured a year of this. I am sad, obviously, that it's still going. I did not think it would take this long, but I am extraordinarily confident, more confident every single day that this situation is going to turn out how we want it to, which is ridding the country of the deep state, the global communist world order, and this awful, disgusting, racist, evil Democrat party. And all of those complicit on our side and doing all that without a civil war. That's the goal. We are still on track. It is moving forward every day. COVID has collapsed. Joe Biden has collapsed. All we need now is to get through the next few stages of what the global communist order has planned to take back control and the American public needs to understand election fraud. At that point, once the public is awake, 85%, 90% awake, the job can be completed. We are still on track for that. So Joe Biden's scripted speech was ridiculous. Watch it if you want. The questions were amazing. In the scripted speech, he essentially blamed everything that was happening in the world on COVID. And that is his administration's normal position. Everything was caused by COVID. Supply chains caused by COVID. Inflation, COVID. The only thing that's not COVID, actually, that's a problem for the administration is illegal immigration. And of course, illegal immigration was caused by, <laughs> by, by, by climate change. Thank you, Mr. President.
I know some of my colleagues will get into some specific issues, but I wanted to zoom out on your first year in office. Inflation is up. Uh, your signature domestic legislation is stalled in Congress. In a few hours from now, the Senate, uh, an effort in the Senate to deal with voting rights and voting, uh, voting reform legislation is going to fail. COVID-19 is still taking the lives of 1,500 Americans every day. And the nation's divisions are just as raw as they were a year ago. Did you overpromise to the American public what you could achieve in your first year in office? And how do you plan to course correct going forward? Why are you such an optimist? Look, I didn't overpromise. And what I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen. The fact of the matter is that uh, we're in a situation where uh, we have made enormous progress. You mentioned the number of deaths from COVID. Well, it was uh, three times that not long ago. It's coming down. Everything's changing. It's getting better. Look, I didn't overpromise, but I think if you take a look at what we've been able to do, uh, you'd have to acknowledge we made enormous progress. Well, let's be clear. Joe Biden has not accomplished anything. The two accomplishments, actually three accomplishments that Joe Biden points to are the passage of covid relief. That's spending a bunch of money we don't have on things we don't need. And most of that money is payoffs to other countries, non-governmental organizations, political benefactors. That's what that money was. Same thing with the infrastructure package, which is the other thing he brags about. Only, what is it, 9% or maybe 11% of that money goes to actual infrastructure. The rest of the money, again, goes to payoffs. And then the other thing he brags about is the fact that they have vaccinated 210 million Americans fully. That's what he says. Fully vaccinated 210 million Americans. I don't think anyone actually believes that number. And that is not a great accomplishment. In fact, in the future, it will be seen as nothing but a great moral evil. And it's on that path now. Joe Biden did not get the vaccines out to market and he didn't use his own distribution system. He ended up falling back on policies that were put in place before he got there. At one point yesterday, he bragged about how quickly vaccines got to market as if he had something to do with it, but he didn't. But that's what Joe Biden is hanging his hat on. Those three things. Everything else they have done has been a massive failure for the country. And don't get me wrong. Those three things are also massive failures for the country. You could try to make the argument that he's done the job he was put in that position to do by the people who put him in that position, which, of course, are not American voters. But he's failed on all those things, too. He's not getting build back better past. He's talking about breaking it down into pieces, thinking he's going to be able to pass pieces of it and advance the ball before Hillary is there to take over. But he's not getting that passed and he's not getting any of the voting stuff passed unless a bunch of Republicans pile on and pretend that they're just passing a NASA funding bill. The entire globalist agenda is bursting into flames in front of him and partially because of him, because it's all getting exposed. He has failed in every single way you can imagine for every single different group of people you can imagine. That's why he's begging people to pass 
sweeping changes against the Constitution to voting. And that's why he's begging for censorship and softer media coverage. He approached the entire press conference yesterday scared that he might offend the media when he was saying things to them, which didn't stop him from yelling at them. And you'll see that later. One of the things that I think is something that uh, one thing I hadn't been able to do so far is get my Republican friends to get in the game of making things better in this country. For example, I was reading the other day and I I wrote the quote down so I don't misquote him. A quote from Senator Sununu. So it's the Republicans fault. They're not going to come to the table. And now he's going to read this quote by Governor Sununu that he has written down in his binder. He read the entire quote. It was like over a minute or so of reading, just reading right off his binder. And then he flips the page and keeps going. It's amazing, isn't it, that he had that right there? He gets this spontaneous question from a reporter and he's giving a spontaneous answer that he just so happens to have in his binder. You got it? But it's not propaganda. Joe Biden just likes to keep very thorough notes. And it was hilarious because the next question that was asked, which, of course, was scripted and predetermined, has another answer in the binder. Joe Biden actually starts answering the question for like 20 seconds and then just stops and says, oh, you know, let me let me let me take this back a little bit and goes back to the binder and starts reading. For real, that's what happened. Watch it on video. It's about 17 or so minutes into the YouTube video that now exists on the White House's channel on YouTube. And we'll see how this moves. And on Omicron and education, teachers are in result in some in revolt in so many places. Parents are at odds over closing schools and remote learning. You say we're not going to go back to closing schools. You said that just moments ago. Uh, yet they're closing in some areas. What do you say to those teachers and principals and parents about school closings? And what can your administration do to help make up for learning loss for students? First of all, I put in perspective the question you asked. Very few schools are closing. Over 95% are still open. So you all phrase the questions when people, I don't think it's deliberate on your part, but you phrase the question when anybody watches this on television. My God, there must be all those schools must be closing. What are we going to do? 95% are still open, number one. And here we have the communist mindset in full bloom. Part of his scripted speech at the beginning dealt with supply chains. And he said that like 89% of shelves were still full. Well, that doesn't explain all the stuff that's not there, Joe. You're just saying it's mostly okay, so it's not a problem. That's the same thing that they're doing with schools. 95% of schools may well be open. Why isn't it 100? Because there's absolutely no reason why kids shouldn't be in school related to the coronavirus, and there never was. And the same reasoning applies to vaccine injuries. Well, look at how many shots we've given. Yeah, I understand that VAERS has 20,000 deaths and that it's probably 20 to 40 times that. And I understand that there are hundreds of thousands and potentially millions of vaccine injuries, myocarditis, pericarditis, strokes, 
blood clotting, fertility issues, miscarriages, early menopause for 36-year-olds. Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand that, but it's so small in comparison. So why are you upset? You mentioned Republicans and reaching out to them. Some Republicans who may be open to major changes on voting rights, for instance, like Mitt Romney, he says he never even received a phone call from this White House. Why well, not? I like Mitt, look, Mitt Romney's a straight guy. He's uh, and uh, one of the things that we're doing, I was trying to make sure we got everybody on the same page in my party on this score. And I didn't call many Republicans uh, at all. The fact is that um, there are. I, I do think that Mitt is a serious guy. I think we can get things done. I think I, I predict you to get something done on the electoral reform side of this. But um, rather than judge what's going to get done and not get done, all I can say is I'm going to continue to make the case why it's so important to not turn the electoral process over to political persons who are set up deliberately to change the outcome of elections. Um, And let's be clear what Joe Biden is referring to right there. He is upset that Americans around the country are taking political action according to the law, completely peacefully in their own communities. He's mad that Americans actually want to observe their elections now and that the Democrats like Stacey Abrams and her little happy faces group can't just employ all the election workers and have them do things as they want. He's actually being honest in his bizarro world way. He's saying the right things. If only he would apply them to the right people, which are the people on his side. And also be clear about what he's doing. And he does this a few times in the speech. He is planting the seeds of an illegitimate 2022 election. That is exactly what he is doing. He is saying that the outcome might be in doubt because Republicans are trying to become the people who count the votes. No, they just want to be involved in the process. Whereas before, poll watchers were kicked out. They were not allowed to watch what was going on at the election centers. They taped pizza boxes to the windows so that people couldn't see inside. They used social distancing to take poll watchers and push them 20, 25 feet away because it was just too dangerous for them to be any closer. Yes, too dangerous to the global communist agenda, perhaps, too dangerous to Joe Biden's chances of actually winning the 2020 election. But we can just pretend all that didn't happen. The election was just fine. Those Republicans in there were just jerks. And that's why we had to tape cardboard all over the window and kick them out. Bloomberg. Thank you. Um, Your top foreign policy advisors have warned that Russia is now ready to attack Ukraine. But there's still little unity among European allies about what a package of sanctions against Moscow would look like. If the U.S. and NATO aren't willing to put troops on the line to defend Ukraine and American allies can't agree on a sanctions package, hasn't the U.S. and the West lost nearly all of its leverage over Vladimir Putin? And uh, given how ineffective sanctions have been in deterring Putin in the past, why should the threat of new sanctions give him pause? Well, because he's never seen 
sanctions like the ones I promised will be imposed if he moves, number one. Number two, we're in a situation where uh, Vladimir Putin uh, is about to, uh, we've had very frank discussions, uh, Vladimir Putin and I, and uh, the idea that NATO is not going to be united, I don't buy. I've spoken to every major NATO leader. We've had the NATO-Russian summit. We've had other, the OSCE has met, et cetera. And so I think what you're going to see is that Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, et cetera. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force amassed on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia if they further invade Ukraine, and that our allies and partners are ready to impose severe cost and significant harm on Russia and the Russian economy. And, you know, we're going to fortify our NATO allies, I told him, on the eastern flank, if in fact he does invade. We're going to, I've already shipped over $600 million worth of sophisticated equipment, defensive equipment, to the Ukrainians. The cost of going into Ukraine in terms of physical loss of life for the Russians, they'll, they'll be able to prevail over time, but it's going to be heavy. It's going to be real. It's going to be consequential. In addition to that, Putin has a, you know, has a, a stark choice, uh, he, either de-escalation or diplomacy, a confrontation of the consequences. And look, I think you're going to see, for example, Everybody talks about how Russia has control over the, uh, the energy supply uh, that Europe absorbs. Well, guess what? That, 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 that money that they earn from that makes about 45% of the economy. I don't see that as a one-way street. They go ahead and cut it off. It's like my mother used to say, you're biting your nose off to spite your face. It's not like they have all these wonderful choices out there. So that right there is the clip that has taken up most of the space in the news cycle since this press conference yesterday. He basically just said that the U.S. is prepared to put sanctions on Russia. And he gave space for Putin to stage a minor incursion without any military response from the United States. Yes, they might put more troops in other countries in Europe, but probably not. And later on in the next question, he says that he doesn't think Putin wants a Cold War. And he said that it's unlikely that Ukraine will be joining NATO anytime soon. He is knocking down all of the premises for the entire narrative that the media is spinning for the intel community and the military industrial complex. OK, Putin is supposed to want to go in and invade Ukraine because he's worried about Ukraine joining NATO. Well, Biden just took that away. They're saying that Putin is amping up for war over this. Biden just took that away. He said he doesn't think Putin has any interest in a war. But he also just said that Putin can go ahead and invade a little bit and there will be no war response. And just like that, he destroyed the entire narrative. I've said for weeks, actually months, that I don't think anything is going to happen with Ukraine and Russia. The CIA may stage a false flag attack to try to make it look like something is starting there. It's clear they're already engaged in the wag the dog effort. 
And they expect the media to generate 24 hour coverage for days on end about the Russia Ukraine conflict. But no one will be listening because everyone will already see it for the farce that it is. That's why the information stream matters. Okay. When people move away from the central narrative and start trying to figure out what's actually going on in the world, they can see the central narrative and all of the events around it for what they are. And Joe Biden's illegitimate Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, was in Ukraine yesterday trying to figure out how the whole program's going to go. They're just plotting the narrative, making sure all the countries do their parts so that they get the exact result the global communists want. But getting the result the global communists want requires people believing it. And no one believes it anymore. Joe Biden just turned his cards over in the middle of a hand and said, yeah, here it is. Can you beat this? And everyone's like, oh, well, yeah, but also there are still more cards coming out. Like you're just kind of giving the whole thing away. And Joe's like, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm giving the whole thing away. The whole thing. They make a, if they invade, they're going to pay. They're not going, their banks will not be able to deal in dollars. So there's a lot's going to happen. But here's the thing. My conversation with Putin, and we've been, um, how can we say it? We have no problem understanding one another. He has no problem understanding me, nor me, him. And the the direct conversations were, I pointed out, I said, you know, you've uh, occupied before other countries. But the price has been extremely high. How long? You can go in and over time, that great loss and economic loss, go in and occupy Ukraine. But how many years? One, three, five, ten? What what is that going to take? What toll does that take? The implicit threat there that Joe Biden just made is actually not a threat from Joe Biden or from the U.S. military. It's a threat from the central banks. He is talking about Russia being taken off the dollar as a reserve currency and inflicting pain on the economy of Russia and on Russia's people if Vladimir Putin does this very bad thing in Ukraine. Again, Joe Biden is giving away the whole game. Now, if you see the CIA and the FBI, the deep state, the military industrial complex as being in league with the global communist agenda and tasked with implementing the global communist agenda around the world, either through force or subversion. And you understand that those entities also have major influence, major influence on mainstream media corporations and all corporations really. Then how do those entities react and how do the media companies react when Joe Biden, who was placed into office to do their bidding, literally placed into office to do their bidding, is failing so spectacularly at every single thing they wanted him to do? How do they react? I imagine that we are going to see over the next few weeks, Biden's polling numbers continue to crash. He is going to get less and less media support. And the murmurs about him being replaced or Kamala Harris being replaced 
will grow and grow. And as I've been saying since probably October of 2020, Joe Biden may well be a fall guy. They will blame all of this on him. They will say that he's not fit for the job. That narrative will begin rising and then they will attempt to replace him either by replacing Kamala first and then bumping Joe off the stage or just removing him, putting Kamala in there and then maybe bringing Hillary in as VP and having her effectively serve as president. She would be everywhere with Kamala and speaking second, but she would be the one running things and everyone would know it. And then Kamala would be pushed aside and they would try to run Hillary in 2024. Of course, that's speculation. But the part that I don't believe is speculation, the part I believe we can expect to see is that the media will turn more drastically on Biden. We'll hear more about his physical and mental health and things will begin to really collapse in the fake administration. And at that point, people are going to be a whole lot more open to the idea that Joe Biden was never elected in the first place. And of course, he wasn't. I, I go back to Governor Sununu's quote. How long, I mean, a rhetorical question. I don't, I know this is not fair to ask the press a question. I'm not asking. But think about, did you ever think that one man out of office could intimidate an entire party where they're unwilling to take any vote contrary to what he thinks should be taken for fear of being defeated in a primary? I've had five Republican senators talk to me, bump into me, quote unquote, or sit with me, who've told me that they agree with whatever I'm talking about for them to do. But Joe, if I do it, I'm going to defeat it in a primary. We've got to break that. It's got to change. And I doubt they're all I'm not being, it sounds like I'm being solicitous. They're all bright as hell, well-informed, more informed than any group of people in America. But did any of you think that you get to a point where not a single Republican would diverge on a major issue? Not one. And there it is. So he had just gotten finished saying that there were five Republicans, five Republican senators who had come to him and said that they want to do what he wants on the Voting Rights Act, but they'll be primaried and taken out of office. And then he goes on what you just heard talking about how one man who's out of office has intimidated his entire party to the point where they will not work with the Democrats, because if they do, they'll be primaried and lose. And of course, the one man he's referring to is Donald Trump. And Joe Biden is admitting while he's saying this, that the country does not want what he wants. The country doesn't want the voting rights thing. The country doesn't want build back better. Politicians are supposed to be afraid of losing their job. That's what makes them serve the people. That was traditionally 
the way politicians got punished for corruption and bad behavior. They're not supposed to go in there and do what the president says, even though their constituents don't want it. They're supposed to be representing the people. Joe Biden understands that Donald Trump is more powerful than he is, even while he is in there behind that seal, pretending to be president. Donald Trump is more powerful than Joe Biden, and he knows it. The people are not on his side, and he knows it. He knows he did not win the 2020 election. He knows he does not have public support. And it's funny there because he also says, oh, I know I, know I shouldn't ask the press a question. It's not fair to ask the press a question. And that's something he got in trouble for the last time he did a press conference. He was trying to get Peter Ducey from Fox to answer his questions because he didn't like the question that was given to him. So he was trying to flip the tables on them. He was told that's a bad idea. Stay away from that, Joe. And over and over and over again in this press conference, he starts going into answers, realizing he's not supposed to be saying any of the things he's saying. And then he backtracks or he just ends the point or he just says, oh, yeah, I shouldn't go any further. But it's not like that was the only time that he asked the press a question in this press conference. He did it constantly. He actually asked them if they could think of a president who has gotten more done in the first year in office. That is crazy. He sat there and like waited for a response. Sir, on COVID, if you don't mind, you touted the number of Americans who are now fully vaccinated with two shots. But even some of your own medical advisors say that people aren't fully protected unless they have that third shot, yeah. a booster. Why hasn't this White House changed the definition of fully vaccinated to include that third booster shot? Is it because the numbers of fully vaccinated Americans would suddenly look a lot less? No, impressive? it's not that at all. It's just, it's just this, is be, this has become clearer and clearer. And every time I speak of it, I say, if you've been vaccinated, get your booster shot. Everybody get the booster shot. It's the, ob the optimum protection you can have. You're protected very well with two shots. If it's the Pfizer, anyway, you're protected. But you are better protected with the booster shot. Well, now all of that is just completely wrong. The optimum protection is when you have a booster shot, except in Israel, they just said that the fourth shot might not be enough. And Pfizer's own CEO has said that the two shots were not enough. So Biden's answer is completely incoherent. It is not backed up by any science anywhere. And the reporter's question was actually very interesting. She said, is the reason you're not changing the definition of fully vaccinated because your numbers would look a lot less impressive that way? And she's right. People who have gotten one shot have decided not to get the second. People who have gotten two have figured out the game and decided not to get the booster. People are understanding that people who have gotten these shots are collapsing on soccer fields. Their children are being intentionally debilitated with myocarditis. All of the issues I listed before, people are waking up to that. They don't want more shots. 
I don't believe there are anywhere near 210 million Americans who are fully vaccinated at this point. But the number of people who have gone and gotten the booster too? No, nowhere close to that. In fact, it's probably fewer than the 50 million people who voted for Joe Biden. Um, okay, uh, Alex, uh, Alper, Reuters. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, I wanted to follow up briefly on a question asked by uh, Bloomberg. You said that Russia would be held accountable if it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion, and we end up having to fight about what to do and what not to do. Are you saying that a minor incursion by Russia into Ukrainian territory would not lead to the sanctions that you have threatened, or are you effectively giving Putin permission to make a small incursion into the country? <laughs> Good question. Um, that's how it did sound like, didn't it? The most important thing to do, big nations can't bluff, number one. Number two, the idea that we would do anything to split NATO, which would be a, have a profound impact on one of, I think, profound impact on one of Putin's objectives is to weaken NATO, would be a big mistake. So the question is, if it's a something significantly short of uh, a significant invasion or not even significant, just major military forces coming across, for example, uh, it's one thing to determine that if they continue to uh, to use cyber efforts, well, we, we can respond the same way with cyber. Um, they have FSB people in Ukraine now trying to undermine uh, the solidarity within Ukraine about Russia and to try to promote Russian interest. Um, but it's very important that uh, that we keep everyone in NATO on the same page. And that's what I'm spending a lot of time doing. And there are differences. There are differences in NATO as to what countries are willing to do depending on what happens, the degree to which they're able to go. And I want to be clear with you. The serious imposition of sanctions relative to dollar transactions and other things are things that are going to have a negative impact on the United States as well as a negative impact on the economies of Europe as well, a devastating impact on Russia. And so I got to make sure everybody's on the same page as we move along. I think we will, if there's something that is, that where there's Russian forces crossing the border, killing Ukrainian fighters, et cetera, I think that changes everything. But are they allowed to stage a minor incursion, Joe? You haven't answered the question yet. But what you did say is that Russia may come off the U.S. dollar. And that would have a negative impact on the U.S., on our European ally countries, and a devastating impact on Russia. And if you understand the global reset agenda, well, that's kind of what they want. A bad economy in America, a bad economy in Europe, and crushing a sovereign nation in Russia. He had an opportunity to go hard and repeat the military industrial complex's narrative, and he failed to do it once again. He did give some of the central bank's narrative. He did give some of the global reset agenda's narrative. But essentially, he's made it clear that there will not be a U.S. military response. And so within 25 minutes, 
He ruined the entire narrative about Ukraine. And then a reporter in the room was so aware of the outside chatter on that issue that she felt compelled to ask about that chatter and the disaster that was already taking place outside the press conference because of what was happening inside the press conference. Talk constitutional law for 20 years, a three credit course in separation of powers. And uh, on Saturday mornings when I was a senator and uh, I, I, I never thought we'd get into a place where um, where we were talking about being able actually what they tried to do this last time out, send different electors to the state legislative bodies to represent who won the election, saying that I didn't win, but Republican candidate won. Um, I doubt whether anybody thought that would ever happen in America in the 21st century, but it's happening. And so I think, I guess what I'm saying is, uh, Nancy, is that I think that uh, there are a number of things we can do, but I also think we will be able to get significant pieces of the legislation if we don't get it all now to build to get it so that we get a, a big chunk of the John Lewis legislation as well as the fair election process. So Joe was a constitutional law teacher while he was a senator. Well, then how come you don't understand how it works and how come you don't think that states might send alternate electors so that those electors can be heard from and perhaps counted in the situation where there is obvious and overwhelming evidence of election fraud. And how come, Joe, being the constitutional law professor you are, how come you are dead set on trying to federalize elections when it says in the Constitution that the states control their elections? The guy stole an election and now he is trying to change the rules and laws governing how elections are held and he can't believe he's being opposed on it. You big picture, particularly when you think about voting rights and the struggles you've had to unify your own party around voting rights. Unity was one of your key campaign promises. In fact, in your inaugural address, you said your whole soul was in bringing America together, uniting our people. People heard the speech that you gave on voting rights in Georgia recently, in which you described those who are opposed to you to George Wallace and Jefferson Davis, and some people took exception to that. What do you say to those who were offended by your speech, and is this country more unified than it was when you first took office? Number one. Anybody who listened to the speech, I did not say that there were going to be a George Wallace or a Bull Connor. I said we're going to have a decision in history that is going to be marked just like it was then. You either voted on the side, not did make you George Wallace or didn't make you Bull Connor, but if you did not vote for the Voting Rights Act back then, you were voting with those who agreed with Connor, those who agreed with, with, and, and so. And I, I think Mitch did a real good job of making it sound like I was attacking them. If you notice, I haven't attacked anybody publicly, any senator, any, 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 any congressman publicly. And my disagreements with them have been made to them 
communicate to them privately or in person with them. Uh, my desire still is, look, I underestimated one very important thing. I never thought that Republicans, like, for example, I said they got very upset. I said there are 16 members of the present United States Senate who voted to extend the Voting Rights Act. Now, they got very offended by that. What an accusation is stating a fact. What has changed? What happened? What happened? Why is there not a single Republican? Not one. That's not the Republican. So that's not an attack. Is the country more unified? Is the country more unified than when you first took office? Uh, the answer is, based on some of the stuff we've got done, I'd say yes, but it's not nearly unified as it should be. Look, I still contend, and I know you'll have a right to judge me by this. I still contend that unless you can reach consensus in a democracy. You cannot sustain the democracy. I didn't say that they were Bull Connor or Jefferson Davis. And I didn't say that they were like Bull Connor or Jefferson Davis. I said that they were like the people who agreed with the people who agreed with Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis. And that's how history will remember them. Just like the people who agreed with the people who agreed with Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis and the people who agreed with Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis are basically the same as Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis. But the people who agreed with the people who agreed with Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis, nah, nah, they're just uh, nice people that we happen to have a disagreement with not a disagreement about which party we're in. Just to be clear, Bull Connor and Jefferson Davis were absolutely Democrats through and through, just like I am. And I was mentored by a Klansman. His name was Robert Byrd. He was a grand, legal and exalted Cyclops of the KKK. And he was my political mentor. But the people who agree with people who agree with people like that. ho. Oh, they're just fine. Upstanding citizens for the most part. In fact, I'll say this. They're very fine people on both sides. And the end of that clip is just beautiful. He still contends that if you cannot reach a consensus in a democracy, then you cannot sustain that democracy. Well, Joe, the consensus is moving swiftly against you. You are, in fact, unifying the nation. Just not with you. You are unifying the nation in opposition to you, which is one of the most brilliant things that has come out of this entire time. People have realized who you are and what you represent and what your party represents and what the global reset agenda looks like in their lives and what the force of global communism and the goals of global communism might be. We are finding consensus on that. But if your priority is to reach consensus in order to sustain democracy, again, why are you doing so many things that people don't want you to do? If you can't get 50 votes in the Senate, much less 60 votes in the Senate, why is your response to try to change the rules? 
And if you can't win an election in 2022 because the country hates everything about you and what you stand for, why would you deserve to win? And why would your number one priority be changing the rules of an election you know you can't win otherwise? That's not reaching consensus, Joe. I want to ask you about your domestic agenda. You've gotten a lot of questions about voting rights, Mr. President, but I want to ask you about black voters, one of your most loyal constituencies. I was in Congressman Clyburn's district Mm -hmm. yesterday in South Carolina. You opened this news conference talking about him. I spoke to a number of black voters who fought to get you elected, and now they feel as though you are not fighting hard enough for them and their priorities. And they told me they see this push on voting rights more as a last minute PR push than it is a legitimate effort to get legislation passed. So what do you say to these black voters who say that you do not have their backs as you promised on the campaign trail? I've had their back. I've had their back my entire career. I've never not had their back. And I started on the voting rights issues long, long ago. That's what got me involved in politics in the first place. And uh, I think part of the problem is, uh, um, look, there's there's significant disagreement in every community on whether or not the timing of assertions made by people has been in the most timely way. So I'm sure that there are those who are saying that why didn't Biden push John Lewis bill as hard as he pushed it the last month? Why did he push it six months ago? as hard as he did now. Um, uh, The fact is that there is, um, there's a timing that is not of one's own choice. It's somewhat dictated by events that are happening in country and around the world as to what the focus is. But part of the problem is as well, I have not been, out in the community nearly enough. I've been here an awful lot. I find myself in a situation where uh, um, I don't get a chance to look people in the eye because of both COVID and things that are happening in Washington to be able to go out and do the things that I've always been able to do pretty well. Connect with people. Let them take a measure of my sincerity. Let them take a measure of who I am. Joe Biden just told black voters who are disappointed in the job he has done that he has not had the time to see to the issues that they care about. That's what he just said. He said those issues just have not popped up on the timeline. The timing is difficult. And some of that is due to COVID and some of that is due to what's happening in Washington. Now, Joe Biden doesn't spend much time in Washington. He's back in Delaware almost every weekend where they don't record who visits him. Isn't that convenient? And he also goes to sleep early every night. Joe Biden is not at the switch for most of the day, every day, and then not anywhere at all on the weekends. So once again, the excuse is because of COVID. And what's the solution? Well, he just needs to get out into the community more. And of course, that's what Kamala Harris said a couple of weeks ago in an interview. She was asked what mistakes she's made, what regrets she's had. 
What was the number one thing she could have done better in that first year? And she also said, get out and be with the people. You got to leave Washington. This is just a stock answer for this White House. And it's a ridiculous answer. Are we really to believe that COVID is preventing Joe Biden from doing his job? And he goes on to say that the timing was not something that was under his control. Well, who's controlling your timing, Joe? That's a question we would all like the answer to. Who is giving you your list of instructions and priorities since the timing of these things are not under your control? He acts as though if he had gone out six months ago and started pushing really, really hard for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, then it would have been passed. The black voters, he imagines, want to know why he wasn't pushing that back then, as if that's a huge priority for black Americans. Yes, all black Americans are standing up and saying, please steal our elections forever. Oh, it's called John Lewis. Oh, well, then we like it. But hey, Joe, here's the thing. You're now admitting that you just pushed as hard as you could for the Voting Rights Act, and it didn't work. Elect me president and I will solve racism. Hey, Joe, uh, you haven't done anything for black people. Well, I don't have the time. I don't have the power. Sometimes I push for things as hard as I can, and it turns out, I fail. Sorry, black people. I tricked you again. I've been doing it for my entire career and it worked again. You know who taught me that? I bet you'll never guess. Ha! Yes, it was Robert Byrd. Remember when I wrote those crime bills in the 90s? That was for you guys. And just for the record, nah, I don't think black Americans can be tricked. I do think that they can have their votes stolen. I do think that they can be lied to. And I do think that they are as subject to the brainwashing as everyone else. And that crosses all demographics, age, race, religion, gender, generation, financial class, all of it. Everybody's subject to the brainwashing. And the propaganda campaign in the black community by Democrats and all of the old guard institutions is on full display for everyone to see. It is a historical fact. And that's why it's important to talk openly about these things rather than recite the slogans you see on television. There are deep questions among Americans about the competence of government from the messy rollout of 5G this week to the Afghanistan withdrawal to testing on COVID. What have you done to restore Americans' faith in the competence of government? And are you satisfied by the view of the competence of your government? Look. So in the interest of time, he goes on a long rambling answer about Afghanistan, where he says that he had to do it. He had to take people out. If he didn't, we, they were going to have to put 20,000 or maybe 50,000 troops into Afghanistan. Just bizarre world nonsense. And then he goes on to talk about the 5G thing. He blames it on two private enterprises. That's not incompetent. Yeah, you have the FAA that regulates the airlines and you have the FCC, which regulates 
the telecom companies. But no, you have nothing to do with it, Joe. And this massive disaster that was just barely averted, it wasn't your fault, but you did just go ahead and fix it. So let's see how he responds to the government's competence regarding COVID. Am I satisfied with the way in which we have dealt with uh, um, COVID and all the things that, uh, that, that go along with that? Yeah, I am satisfied. I think we've done remarkably well. You know, the idea that uh, on testing we've done, we should have done it quicker, but we've done remarkable since then. What we have is we have more testing going on than anywhere in the world. And we're going to continue to increase that. Did we have it at the moment exactly when we should have moved? And could we have moved a month earlier? Yeah, we could have. But with everything else that's going on, I don't view that as somehow a mark of incompetence. Look, Joe Biden does not view doing a bad job when you admittedly could have done a good job as incompetence. And that's very important to understand about Joe Biden. He has never viewed that as incompetence. And that's why he thinks he's so good at what he does. Think of what we did on COVID when uh, when we were pushing on uh, AstraZeneca to provide more vaccines. Well, guess what? They didn't have the machinery to be able to do it. So I physically went to Michigan, stood there in a factory with the head of the uh, of uh, um, AstraZeneca and said, we'll provide the machinery for you. This is what we'll do. We'll help you do it so that you can produce this vaccine more rapidly. I think that's pretty hands on stuff. AstraZeneca does not have a vaccine in the U.S., nor a factory in Michigan. Joe Biden believes that he went to the factory and met with people. That's pretty hands-on stuff. That's how we've got all these vaccines now. He went and fixed it. And he's talking about Pfizer. It actually has it bracketed in the subtitles on the video that the White House has on their YouTube page. The subtitles say in brackets, Pfizer. So don't worry. It was just a verbal gaffe. And not further proof that the fake president has no idea what planet he's on. We also said right now, when people, the hospitalizations are, are, are overrunning hospitals and you have docs and nurses out because of COVID, they have COVID. We put thousands of people back in, in those hospitals. Look at all the, marine, all the military personnel we have there. First responders. Joe Biden has fixed the problem of not enough First responders, not enough doctors and nurses in hospitals that he caused with vaccine mandates. There has been no time in the entire coronavirus period where a hospital has had to triage patients for care. Hospitals are not being overrun. They have reduced their capacity, which makes it look like they are closer to their capacity. But again, that was a policy decision influenced by bad policy decisions from Democrats and the public health community. And Joe Biden putting FEMA and the National Guard around hospitals is his fix for the problem he created. Well, that's a bad fix. Nobody is ever organized. Nobody is ever organized 
a strategic operation to get as many shots and arms by opening clinics and keeping and being able to get so many people vaccinated. Well, first of all, a lot of it was organized before you took office. Second of all, saying that no one has ever organized anything like that doesn't matter because this is the first time anything like that has happened. So if you're going to use that to say that that means you did the best job, well, then you also have to accept that that means you also did the worst job. And a few minutes later, he finally gets to Fox's Peter Ducey. Biden kept checking his watch to see what time it was and then kept asking the reporters if they wanted to keep going. He was like, I'll keep going. I'll do another hour, another two hours. All the reporters were like, yes, yes, of course. We want to keep asking you questions because you never take questions. And at this point, the questions seem to have gotten off script. I actually wonder if Jen Psaki was not in the room because she was too busy dealing with the Ukraine debacle that the idiot had just created. Biden chided Peter Ducey about how he always asks him difficult questions. But once the floor was open, everything was just a disaster because Joe Biden thinks so much of himself that he actually thought he was prepared to ask questions from media outlets that didn't have the goal of continuing to empower him. I know you do. All right. I, None of them make a lot of sense to me, but I. I well, let's let's try fire away. Come a on. New year. Uh. Why are you trying so hard in your first year to pull the country so far to the left? Well, I'm not. I don't know what you consider to be too far to the left. If, in fact, we're talking about making sure that we had the money for COVID, making sure we had the money to put together the bipartisan infrastructure, making sure we were able to provide for those things that, in fact, would significantly reduce the burden on working class people, but make them they have to continue to work hard. I don't know how that is pointed to the left. If you may recall, I, uh, you guys have been trying to convince me that uh, I am uh, um, Bernie Sanders. I'm not. I like him, but I'm not Bernie Sanders. I'm not a socialist. I'm a mainstream Democrat, and I have been. And mainstream Democrats have overwhelmed. If you notice, the 48 of the 50 Democrats supported me in the Senate on virtually everything I've asked. He's not Bernie Sanders. He's not a socialist. True, Joe, you are not a socialist. You are a communist. You are a fascist. And you are probably unwittingly the leader of a Nazi regime. But you're not a socialist. You're not like Bernie Sanders. And what you're doing, it's not to the left. According to the most extreme communists in the country, you're right. You are not a leftist. In fact, they understand that you are far too corrupt and have made far too much money off of politics. They don't believe you even could be on the left or a communist. But then again, they don't understand communism because they don't understand anything. And that's why they're on the left. What is the trajectory of the country? Is it moving in the right direction now? I don't know how we can say it's not. I understand the overwhelming frustration, fear, and concern with regard to inflation and COVID. I get it. But the idea, if I told you 
when we started, I tell you what I'm going to do. First year, I'm going to create over 600 or 6 million jobs. I'm going to get unemployment down to 3.9%. I'm going to generate, and I named it all. You look at me like you're nuts. Maybe I'm wrong. People will still look at you that way because you are nuts. You are wrong. And everything you just said is provably false. Your agenda is what killed all the jobs in the first place, and you haven't brought them all back. In fact, you make it harder with every single thing your fake administration tries to do for those jobs to ever come back. And we already know the agenda. You don't want those jobs to come back. Those people will end up destitute and then on the government dole, but you'll call it universal basic income, And they'll feel like it's just something they deserve. And they'll live out their lives in little tiny box apartments in the middle of urban areas. And they'll get to not own anything but love it. They'll get to rent their clothes. And yes, they'll have plenty to stream on television and they can spend the day in the metaverse. But all of that seems like a pretty good deal because otherwise they would just be considered useless eaters anyway. In our recent memory, with as much Washington experience as you entered this office with, but yet after we sit here for more than an hour, I'm not sure I've heard you say if you would do anything differently in the second year of your term. Do you plan to do anything differently? Yeah, look, the thing you, I have to are do. Are you satisfied with your team here at the White House, sir? I'm satisfied with the team. There's three things I'm going to do differently now that I will. Now that I've gotten the critical crises out of the way, in the sense of that movement, knowing exactly where we're going. Number one, I'm going to get out of this place more often. I'm going to go out and talk to the public. I'm going to do public fora. I'm going to interface with them. I'm going to make the case of what we've already done, why it's important, and what will do if what will happen if they support what else I want to do. Number two, I'm bringing in more and more now that I have time. I mean, literally, like, like you, it's I'm not complaining. It's, you know, 12, 14 hours a day. No complaints. I really mean that sincerely. But now that certain of the big chunks have been put in place and we know the direction, I'm also going to be out there seeking the more advice of experts outside, from academia to editorial writers to think tanks, and I'm bringing them in, just like I did early on, bringing in uh, presidential historians to get their perspective on what we should be doing, seeking more input more information, more constructive criticism about what I should and shouldn't be doing. And the third thing that I'm going to be doing a lot more of is being in a situation where I'm able to bring, I'm, I'm going to be deeply involved in the off, these off-year elections. Number one, go out, spend more time talking to the people. Number two, we need more experts. More experts from academia, the editorial writers, literally bloggers, and people from globalist-aligned think tanks so that they can tell him what he should and shouldn't be doing. That's reassuring. What a leader. And then the third thing is he's going to take his 30% approval rating out into the public and poison the well on every single Democrat's campaign. What a joy. Democrat candidates will be running and hiding from Joe Biden when he goes out on the campaign trail. That's how toxic he is to their party. And I can't wait to see it.
And you're going to love this. Joe Biden is trying to spark an insurrection. Everything I've asked. Yes, sir. You were asked whether or not you believed that we would have free and fair elections in 2022 if some of these state legislatures reformed their voting protocols. You said that it depends. Uh, do you do you think that they would in any way be illegitimate? Oh yeah, I think it easy to be be illegitimate. Imagine, imagine if in fact Trump has succeeded in convincing Pence to not count the votes. Imagine if, in regards to 2022, sir, the midterm. Oh, 2022. Election. I mean, uh, imagine if those uh, attempts to say that uh, the count was not legit. You have to recount it, or we're not going to count. We're going to discard the following votes. I mean, sure. It, 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 I'm not saying it's going to be legit. It's the increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is in direct proportion to us not being able to get these these reforms passed. But I don't think you're going to see, you're not going to see me, and I don't think you're going to see the Democratic Party give up on can go, coming back at assuming that the attempt fails today. And then one more, sir. Um, you know, you, talk, you campaigned and, and you ran on a return to civility. And I know that you dispute the characterization that you called folks who would oppose those voting bills um, as being Bull Connor or, or George Wallace. But you said that they would be sort of in the, the same camp. No, uh, I didn't say that. Look what I said. Go back and read what I said. And tell me if you think I called anyone who voted on the side of the position taken by Bull Connor that they were Bull Connor. And that is an interesting reading of English. You, you, I assume you got in the, in the journals because you like to write. So did you expect that that would work with Senators Manchin or, or Cinema? Um, no, here's argument? the thing. There's certain things that are so consequential. You have to speak from your heart as well as your head. I was speaking out forcefully on what I think to be at stake. That's what it is. And by the way, no one, no one forgets who was on the side of King Reverse on or Bull Connor. No one not done that. The history books will note it. And when I was making the case, don't think this is a freebie. You don't get to vote this way and then somehow it goes away. This will be stick with you the rest of your career and long after you're gone. And Mr. President, and folks, I'm okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now I got to say, when that kid stepped up to the mic, or that young man, and his voice started cracking, I was like, oh my God. But he actually stood in there with Joe Biden screaming at him, and he delivered strong and tough questions. And of course, Joe Biden whiffed. He always thinks he's hitting a home run, just like back in T-ball. But hey, Joe, there's no T and there's no ball. You're swinging at nothing and you are missing. The home run is in your imagination. And of course, he also defeated his prior cleanup effort where he was meaning to clarify those comments. Disaster. 
If I could, sir, and I should have said this before, Francesca Chambers McClatchy, how do you plan to win back moderates and independents who cast a ballot for you in 2020, but polls indicate aren't happy with the way you're doing your job now? I don't believe the polls. Joe Biden retreats to his safe space when the polls don't say what he wants them to. He doesn't believe them when they're not good. And when you consider that the polling companies, for the most part, are on his side, you can get an idea of how much trouble he's actually in. And to wrap it up, let's go to Joe Biden making the enormous mistake (laughs) of allowing a Newsmax reporter to ask a question. James Rosen with Newsmax. I'd like to um, I'd like to raise a delicate subject, uh, but with utmost respect for your life accomplishments and the high office you hold. A poll released this morning by Politico Morning Consult found 49 percent of registered voters disagreeing with the statement Joe Biden is mentally fit. Not even a majority of Democrats who responded uh, strongly affirmed that statement. Well, I'll let you all make the judgment whether they're correct. Well, Thank so you. the question I have for you, sir, if you'd let me finish, is why do you suppose such large segments of the American electorate have come to harbor such profound concerns about your cognitive fitness? Thank you. I have no idea. Yes, sir. And there we have it. Complete and total incompetence on display for all the world to see. We are one year into this fake administration, and it is becoming more obvious by the day. And I didn't even get to the new news on election integrity efforts that are happening in Wisconsin and Georgia and Pennsylvania and Arizona. Things are still pushing forward. And Joe Biden is out there trying to explain why Americans should still trust that he is competent to do his job, mentally fit to do his job. That press conference was a disaster. I was describing it on Telegram as a car wreck that took days to clear off the freeway, like we just saw in Virginia a couple weeks ago after they got six inches of snow. And then it turned out it was a car wreck on train tracks and the train just smashed into the car wreck and the whole thing was just piled all over the train tracks and it took them 17 days to clear the cars and the train off the tracks and then it got even worse two small planes crashed into the train that had crashed into the cars and now it's going to take them 1700 days to get all of this off the train tracks And then the big plane started crashing into the small planes that had crashed into the train that had crashed into the cars. And it was all a mess. It was never going to get cleared off. It was all still burning. Don't worry. Everybody got out safely. So you don't have to feel too sad. But seriously, that press conference was an absolute embarrassment. I have never seen a political disaster unfolding in real time for so long there was a certain artistic brilliance to it just when you thought it couldn't get any worse or any funnier it got both worse and 
funnier. And yes, I understand that Joe Biden's feeble incompetence puts the country in grave danger. I trust that we will make our way through that. But all of this was available to be known by every single American who decided to care. And what we have was tens of millions of people going out and voting for Joe Biden because they didn't want to be associated with us. And that's it. Just moral preening, virtue signaling. They went out and voted for this man on purpose because they were so mad that their image of how things are supposed to be wasn't being replicated in the world in front of them. Not enough. I mean, yes, they were sitting home on their nice couches, ordering Uber Eats, huddled under their little blankets, trying to prevent themselves from ever getting the cold. And they voted for exactly this, exactly this. And I spent a lot of time when I was doing High Noon talking about these people and talking about how we might be able to move forward as a country and what that requires. That requires these people understanding what they have done. And thank goodness, more of them are every day, at least about the COVID thing. But they're not all the way there yet. They have to admit this thing that they did. They have to admit that they could see the election fraud too, and they covered for it anyway because they thought it was a benefit to them or they turned their eyes away so that they wouldn't ever have to be the one who said, yes, I knew the whole time, but they did know the whole time. They ignored it on purpose. They cared about their own public image and they believed whatever the television told them. And they went out and they repeated the slogans and they supported this atrocity. And coming back from that requires fully understanding what they have done and making amends with this country. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And happy anniversary, Joe Biden. They lied to you about the results of an election in the most powerful country in history. Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. 
If you like the show, please share it with your friends and give it a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so new listeners can take your word for it. You can follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I'm Your Moderator. If you have feedback, you can email heymoderator at imyourmoderator.com or use the hashtag heymoderator on Twitter. If you'd like to support the show, search Be Reasonable on Patreon, where I'll have additional daily-ish segments in a special podcast feed of the show, as well as my writing and audio readings of those articles. You can also go to anchor.fm slash be reasonable and become a supporter there. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Be reasonable. Moderator for tonight's broadcast. It's noon. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social. Getter and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.